Welcome to Tone Deaf, a conversation podcast. Here we are, episode 29. Going to talk about a couple things today. Um, First, I want to hit on some of the Oscar noise. um, uh, How some films have been performing uh, over the last couple weeks. And of course, I've got to end this with Batman. And this will most likely be a spoiler-written Batman um, review. I will let you know before I get to that point. Um, I'm going to do a soft review first, and then I'm going to... I'm Actually, I'm not going to get too deep, but it, it is probably going to be deeper than you would want if this is a movie you plan on seeing. So I'll let you know. Before I start getting into that, I just want to talk about some of. The, I don't want to get too much into the plot lines and and specific events so much as as I do want to just talk about what I think some of the themes of this movie are. So I'm going to be referencing certain scenes in order to um, hit on that point. Uh, but first, um, so it's been a couple of weeks since I recorded. So I, pro- so we probably I don't th- yeah I think the last time I talked about the Oscars, I just talked about the nominations. <clears throat> gave some soft um predictions but something has um come up within the last month i think that was i think the last time i did a did the pod was a month ago i believe that's around the time that they released the nominations but there was a report back in february that the academies would not air all of the uh um all of the categories live for the 94th Oscar telecast. Um, let me see if I can find the list. Okay, so what they're going to be doing apparently is handing, is awarding some of these things off camera, and then they're just going to add it in as like clips, perhaps when we're going to commercial break or something like that. Um, the list of the ones that they're going to do are as follows uh, We have documentary short. Film editing, makeup and hairstyling, original score, production design, animated short, live action short, and sound. I am with the majority of the people, the creators, in saying that I think it's... Okay, let me do this. Let me let me take two sides of this. Let me... Let me speak from the side of the programmer. One of the things that I've always tried to do just as a human being is regardless of how something has happened or what someone has done or a, an, an event that has happened, as much as I might hate, loathe, disdain what was what what was done, said, performed, you know, whatever, I try my best to understand the why I think the why is important not that it makes anything better or that it makes a thing right or that it justifies a thing 
but nobody does something for no reason. And, and a lot of times for me, it's helpful for me to make, that's how I can make sense of things is to understand. Okay. So someone did this horrible act, but they did it because of this. That's not the excuse, but that's the reason. And, and knowing the reason I think is what helps is what I think can help us understand how we can, how we can potentially aid. This is, this is no longer a film podcast, (laughs) how, how we can help people potentially dodge certain pitfalls because there are things that they want in life or goals they're trying to achieve or things that they feel like they need to do. And they're willing to go to extreme measures or, or the pursuit of that thing might lead them into places that they don't want to be in. Like it's totally understandable for me to, to me to, for me to think, okay, there are people in this country that feel like their Americanness, their whiteness is being out, outdone. It's being, you know, and there are, I'm going to say this, with and I and I have to of course you gotta let me qualify this. There's a validity to the to the aspect that a lot of middle middle America, a lot of those factory jobs, those those heartland jobs are being taken. Everything's being sent overseas. Everything is being um um uh you, you have like you go to a grocery store and now instead of seeing ca- people working the cash register, now you see machines. So there's this idea that 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 quote normal everyday american is being forgotten and those things are being given those jobs are being given to people who aren't here those opportunities are being taken away and those are actually actually factual valid things we outsource a lot of jobs to other countries and there are people in this country that say why can't we have those factories here I know you want I know you want the cheaper the cheaper option but imagine if you set up your factories here and 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 sourced things here you know and stuff like that. So I understand that. So the person who feels like they are a dis- disenfranchised white American takes on to that fact and they use that fact to funnel their their purpose. This is this is this has been a uh a uh political 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 science political <laughs> political uh uh statement um but anyways there are people so you have the people who run the oscars but then also you have the people who air the oscars i really should have this up but i i want to say it's abc i think it's abc and Yes, it's ABC. So I believe it was um, one of the producers of the Oscars. His name is Chris Miller. One of the things he said, um, uh, like the Oscars are, is like a Super Bowl for film nerds. And that's, and that's true. This is when we get to celebrate a year in film. Like this is that, this is that time in which we get to, people are introduced to more films during this time because maybe there are some films like people aren't going out looking for documentary shorts so this is the first time that they're going to be introduced to certain things that they would have never seen before the problem is is that unlike the nfl 
they can't go to ABC and say, look, see, like the NFL can say, the NFL can charge whatever price they want because for their Super Bowl, that's when the most people watch. So they can say, we're going to have more viewers than we had all season at our big game. So with all of the pre-stuff, with all of the halftime stuff, with all of the delays, they can say we are going to have a five-hour program, and whoever puts that on, um, they're it, it's just going to be okay. Whatever you want, you want eight hours, you can have it because they know they're going to get eight hours of top-level viewership. So what happens is, is every time that there's an Oscar, this is the behind-the-scenes. Every time there's a, a show in general. There's generally some type of meeting or some type of report done between the producers of the show and the network to say, especially when it's live TV, to say this is when you had the most viewers. This is when people tailed out, blah, 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 blah. So the thinking of the Oscars is, this is, again, this is the, this is the, this is not the artist in me talking. This is the, this is me trying to think practically about this. This is the time in which most people are turning away or they're going to the bathroom or whatever because they don't care about hair and makeup. They just want to know who gets best film. So the Oscars say, okay, in order to save our show, let's try to cut the awards that typically don't get the best ratings. Now, the artist in me says... This is the time that we're supposed to be celebrating film. And yet you are taking what might be. And don't get me wrong. An Oscar win is an Oscar win. If you come to my house and deliver it to me at at my doorstep, or if you hand it to me on a stage in front of millions of people, that trophy still is. I I got actually got a chance. I went to the um, I think I spoke about it on in an early. I might have spoken about it in an earlier pot, but I got a chance to go to the. Um the um the academy uh museum in LA and there was a cool feature that you had to pay for but it was pretty cool you got to go into a room and there was like a camera set up in front of you and kind of like a fake audience in front of you and you got to pretend like you were celebrating holding an award like it was going to be like a quick 10 second you know thing of you holding an award on a stage and they're kind of projecting stuff around you to make it seem like you're actually on the stage and they have a replica trophy of you know the, the award that is a heavy trophy like i'm i'm not exaggerating when i'm saying that's about 10 15 pounds like it's a it's hefty so that trophy still <laughs> pun intended holds weight regardless of when you get it but there is still a there is still a euphoric feeling. I imagine there's a euphoric feeling of not just getting the award, not even just winning the award, but just having your name mentioned in a, in the same room as your peers, in the same room of people who do what you want to do. Some of your idols. Like, I can imagine being nominated for a Best Director uh, nomination. And, like, how would I feel if I'm nominated but also nominated with me as Spike Lee, Quentin Tarantino, 
uh, Martin Scorsese. Like, what the, like, <laughs> like, I don't even care if I win. Did the fact that my name, my name is in the same list as like, I don't want to use the word hero because that's not the way I necessarily feel about filmmakers. But since I can't think of a better term, I'll use that. Like, I am, my name is listed with my heroes. And as they list the nominees and they pan to those guys, I'm going to be, I am in that clip. (laughs) And that is, that, that has to be a gratifying feeling to know that of the hundreds of thousands of movies that get made every year, mine got picked. And there, and it's also listed with the, with what I would, I would believe are the top men and women in this genre. But now you're taking that away. And now I don't have, I don't have the opportunity necessarily to stand on that stage and look at those people potentially. It to me goes against what the Academy Award should be. Like it it goes against it. We are awarding a year in film. And yet you don't get again. Let's be clear. They are not taking away the award. The award is still there. You still get the award. You still get to call yourself Academy, uh, Academy winner. You know, you still get to have that uh, uh, Academy nominated makeup and hair artist. You still get to say that. But in that time, and, and this it is, and it, it leads to a bigger discussion just about the state of film in this country specifically is that film is not a high, a highly regarded thing here. It's, it's a, it's, it's in, it's in a, it's in a higher regard in other countries. It's not, it's, it's not. There are countries that hold filmmaking to the, to the, to the height that we would hold like Broadway plays. Like they mean something. There is a, um, there is a, what's the word? I can't think of it. But there is a high regard for filmmaking. And in America, movies are more like the everyday man or woman's pastime. I don't necessarily, and I'm speaking for what I believe is the general American idea about movies now. I don't want to go to the movies and and see your artsy-fartsy stuff. I want to go and be entertained for two hours. I work. I do whatever all the time. I just kind of want to, I want to escape. To me, I think that's the, that's the beauty of film for, for everybody, is I think there's this idea that we can escape, and whoever the director is that directed the movie that we're watching we are allowing that person to take us on whatever journey they decided to take us on but here i think there's a there's a there's a there's a level of entertainment that we want and if we don't get that level of entertainment then it's not necessarily a thing that we want to spend money to go see again that's another thing that i've talked about here i I got three kids there's five of us and obviously we don't all go to the movies together because we still have a young one and there's not that many movies that come out that all of us are going to go to the movie theater to watch. I am an avid 
single movie theater theater goer, I have no problem doing that. I can go to movies by myself. I love it. But if I go with the whole family, even if even if we got matinee, we would have to get matinees because even a matinee ticket is like 13 bucks. I'm not a senior yet, so I don't get that discount. But if we wanted to go, but it, that assumes that we're going to go earlier in the day or earlier on early on a Saturday morning. But again, let's assume this is the everyday family that probably can only go in the afternoon in the evening. So if we go to a movie on a Friday night. And I'm not even going to include the IMAX <laughs> and and all of the um, theaters that have the extra features, the 4DX, the Dolby, you know, all of that, the Dolby Digital. Even if we went in a regular general showing, they're charging like 15, 16, 17 dollars. And nowadays it behooves oneself to buy their tickets before they get there so that you don't run the risk of going there and you know that was always a risk but now you can avoid going to the movies and finding that the movie you want to watch isn't available so you buy tickets online so then now there's a service fee so if there are five of us and i know there's some kid prices in there so let's just average or average it out to about maybe like 14 15 dollars i think the kid prices end up being like 10 dollars or something like that but the adult prices are around like 15 16 dollars especially when you add in the fee so if we're talking about $15 and we're talking 15 plus five, what is that? 75? Somebody check somebody check my math and tell me if I'm off. But that's like $70. Let's just say 70. And that's just the tickets. So we probably need a large bucket of popcorn. Maybe two. Some places give you free refills. Some give you a refill at a reduced rate. But let's just say popcorn in total is going to be $10. Everybody wants a drink. Each drink is like four dollars. Somebody wants a, somebody wants candy. A box of candy is seven dollars. We might leave paying one hundred dollars. And what I want to know for sure, again, I'm speaking for the everyday person. What I want to know for sure is when I leave, I'm I'm satisfied. I don't want to go to the movies and spend this much money on what might not be good. So that's why they feed us the same type of movie. They they want to make the movie that they believe people are going to go and enjoy. Now, does that always happen? Is it always enjoyable? No, but they are trying to they are trying to work on a metric that they believe has worked. So I get it. When it comes to the awards, there are a lot of people who don't really care. But what I wish could happen was that this would be the one night where we don't care about the people who don't care. We care about the people who care. And we care about the people who work hard in these, in this industry. And who, if, if they have so been chosen to be named amongst others as worthy of receiving an award then the least that we can do is give them the honor of being able to receive that war or award or anticipate that award on live television. I think that's on the Academy. If you need to figure out a better way to re- reorganize this, reorder it, if you need, that's on you. Make a better show. I don't think you, why do I have to suffer? 
because you don't make a show that people want to watch. You fix it. Showrunner, you put the show together in a way that you think might be more entertaining. So do that. And don't take, don't, don't, don't make, and again, I'm, <laughs> we're, 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 we're dealing with first world problems here. But I shouldn't have to suffer, and I'm using the word suffer, you know, tongue in cheek. But I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to pay for your inability to make a show that people want to tune into. That's on you. So I totally understand um, the frustrations of those who are a part of those awards. Um, I hope that the Oscars renege and decide to show those awards. Um, they still have time. It's not over yet. Uh, but that that's my position on this. I, I think that they deserve the right to be recognized live with the people, with everybody else, with the rest of their peers. Okay. So speaking of um, movies and what people watched, um, there was a report. This is talking about uh, um, home rentals and what they were registering. And there was a report that Scream got more home rental, their home rental price or their home rental total, what they were able to amass was more than what West Side Story got. And West Side Story is directed by Steven Spielberg. So we're also in this interesting spot where a few of the movies that are nominated for Best Film are not movies that did very well in the theater. So what does that, how does that shake what type of movies get greenlit? That's kind of an interesting thing to, to see. But the funny thing is, is that the guy that directed West Side Story it's, it's partly responsible for this. Now, don't get me wrong. He makes great movies. But it's but what ha- what's been happening lately is it's easy to rail on superhero movies and saying that they ruin cinema, blah, 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 blah. But it was Spielberg who created the original blockbuster. The idea that a movie can be an event, that was him. And it started back in 1970. I believe that's when Jaws came out. He did that. And all of his fantastically directed movies. Again, let let me not say that there is a lack of quality there. But whether it was going to see Indiana Jones, whether it was going to see Jaws, whether it was going to see Jurassic Park, E.T., Close Encounters, all of these big movies that he made, Saving Private Ryan, they were event movies. They were spectacles. He was a part of that band that that conditioned us to go to a movie and really feel enjoy and like we've like we've been entertained to enjoy our our experience. I like I I I compared I've I've, I've on this on this podcast spoke glowingly about the Green Knight. I thought it was a fantastic movie, but that is not a movie. That's an event movie. It's not a movie that you go to to be wowed to an extent. Obviously, there are aspects of filmmaking that, depending on your sensibilities, that can wow you. Like there was there were there were that was one of those movies where I I find myself thinking about it 
more after I finished. And I don't know if there have been too many movies like that. Like I felt my, like I was thinking about the green Knight long after I watched it. So again, don't, again, I, this is not a matter of quality, but just the type of film it is. It's not that type of film. It's not, it's not Jurassic Park. It's just not, it's not the type of movie that you make an amusement park ride off of. Like Spielberg has like three, three or four attractions at a major uh, uh, amusement park that are based off of his rides, his rides. I think there's a, well, there's a Jaws that's a part of the, um, the um, backlot tour. Both here and in Florida have a Jurassic Park or Jurassic World ride in Florida. They used to have it out here, but in Florida, they have an E.T. ride like his movies were were spectacles and they became. Sellable because they had certain characters, they had certain themes that could be made into merchandise. And he did that. But that's what we want now. And again, I'm speaking we as the as the average person. That's what they want now. They want the spectacle. They don't want the quote boring film. I don't think it's boring, but that's that's the idea. When you compare it to what those guys did, what George Lucas did, like those are spectacles. And if I don't get that for a lot of people, the quality of the story doesn't really matter if I wasn't entertained in a way that I've been conditioned to be entertained. There's not enough explosions. There's not enough monsters. There aren't there aren't any, there aren't any car chases. There aren't any shootouts. Like I need those in order for me to really enjoy this movie. And even a bad story can be saved for a lot of people. By having some of those things in that allowed them to feel like they were entertained. And I think the 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 trick is, and we're gonna get into this when I talk about Batman. The trick is is to find a balance. And this is where the onus is both on the director but also on the studio to not be lazy, but to find the way. To do both if possible. I mean that's the only way I can see right now. To kind of like circumvent that. Is how do you make. The enjoyable film. That is still the auteur film. And that's that's the. That's going to be the, the hard part. But again. I don't think that you should have to make. A spectacle film. If you don't want to. If your film isn't meant to be that. It shouldn't be meant to be that. It, but it should be given the same amount of attention. That it always. That, that, that any other movie should. But unfortunately, that's not the way that the world works. So I am torn between this concept of artistry and practicality. Like what's how do you balance the both? If, in fact, your your goal is to not just be a director, but a successful one. You're going to have to make movies that succeed in the box office in order for that to happen, not just succeed in the critics. Now, again, if that's what if that's what you care about, if that's all you're seeking for then there's that too, because there are a lot of directors and movies that have critical praise 
that are celebrated within the film industry that didn't have high box office numbers. I mean, that's how Tarantino got started. He was making the indie film that did not blow out, that not blow up in the, you know, at the theater. But all of the people at the festivals, all of those cinephiles, they all loved it because it scratched a certain itch that they felt they weren't getting from a typical movie. So here's to seeing how the movies change, but also here's to seeing how the programming changes, to seeing how the 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 companies change their model potentially in order to, you know, maybe give space for those types of movies, you know. I think with the advent of streaming, as much as as much as its as as its rise might mean the the fall of the theater, it it means the rise of the increased eyes on certain things that people would have never. Because I know a lot of people who would who will watch a movie on streaming that they would not have paid to go watch at a, at a theater, and yes, financially. That doesn't that doesn't make a lot of people happy, but that's potentially a way to get eyes on your project is if it's is if it's presented in that way. So yeah, we'll see how this thing goes. I feel like over the last five or five or so years, streaming has been evolving rapidly, literally year by year. There's some new wrinkle, some new development, some new streaming platform. And on one end, I'm excited because now I have the access to so many different movies that I would not have had before. I get to watch some of the classic movies I love. But on the flip, it's like, why would I pay for a movie now? You know, if you're going to if you're just going to give it to me to stream, I don't really need to own it. It's funny. I, <laughs> uh, rest piece to my uncle. I had an uncle who passed away um, a couple years back, but he was really into 3D movies. 3D Blu-ray movies. So he had Blu-ray players in every room, 3D Blu-ray players in every room. Every room had 3D TVs. All he did was bought 3Ds. Nephew, you got to come to the house, man. We got to watch. I got Lion King on 3D. Like it was like he was, he enjoyed it so much. And then in like two or three years, 3D ain't matter no more. And I was like, (laughs) I don't know how much he invested in 3D paraphernalia. But none of that stuff matters anymore. Nobody cares about 3D. I saw Spider-Man twice. One of the times I went, I went to see it in 3D. So they are still pushing it in in uh, theaters. But like buying a, like a 3D TV is not a thing that people really care about anymore. So it, everything has been changing in what in what is in what our sensibilities are, but also in what products are available. So now we're going to see how the industry will change the way that we look at some of this stuff. So, um, yeah. Okay. Here we are. The Batman. I saw this movie twice. Wait, no, I feel like, I feel like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. You guys are getting live live engineering here let me see if i can find something because i feel like this deserves a better um it deserves a better intro 
Okay, so now we have reached the section of the Batman. Take it in, ladies and gentlemen. So beautiful. So beautiful. Fantastic score. It was done by Michael Giacchino. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, I want to say that he did the score as well for uh, No Way Home. I think he did. He did No Way Home, uh, Rogue One, Up. So, yeah, so he's, he's uh, let's see, Jojo Rabbit. Yes, he's a staple. Fantastic score. It is beautiful. The Batman. I got notes on this. I need notes in order to stay on track. Otherwise, I'll mess this up. But we have what I think is, and I'm just going to give you and go right from the jump. The best Batman movie. I think this is the best Batman movie. I think this is better than The Dark Knight, and I'll explain why I think it's better than The Dark Knight. It is... It is... the truest, most grounded Batman movie. Here's what I mean. Okay, so you have The Dark Knight, and you have this Joker character. Who is he? Where does he live? Does he eat? (laughs) Where does he change his clothes? Like, who is he? He he almost seems like he's like a mystic character. There's almost no aspect of him that's grounded, that's relatable. Fantastically played by Heath Ledger. But he's almost like mystical. Like, again, like really, where does he change his clothes? Where does he pee? What is his favorite food? Does he does he drink water? <laughs> like who is he? Like where is he from? What, like we don't really know. There's there's not a whole lot in the comics about it. There's a there's a little bit, but of like a lot of the villains that we normally see, we've seen different takes of his origin. Uh, I think even in 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 um, in the Jack Nicholson portrayal, he like failed in like a vat of acid or something like that. I don't know. Like, there's so many different, but none of it is real. <laughs> Obviously, we're talking about a comic book, but none of it is based in realism, and it kind of again, I think Heath Ledger's performance of the Joker was so good that you didn't care. But you have Batman, who's arguably the most grounded superhero. He is the most real, as relatable as a playboy, playboy, billionaire, philanthropist can be. He's the most realistic character. There's no alterations to his body. He's got no superhuman abilities. He's just a smart guy with money and a grudge. 
But when you look at Joker, there's nothing about Joker that I relate to. I don't know who he is. Even even in the Ledger portrayal, he gives like three different explanations on how he got his scars. So like, who is he? What this movie did was it created the most grounded superhero movie we've ever seen. Everything about it is grounded. There's only one thing that felt like it, like kind of not grounded, and I'll get to that later. But for the most part, this is the most grounded, real Batman movie. I'm going to get into a little bit later, but like even the character of the Riddler, a regular guy. Motivated by by regular things. Very, very prevalent, by the way. I almost want to ask the question, like, with, with the for the, for those of you who have seen the movie, and this this is not a spoiler spot yes, yet. I'm not giving anything away yet. But like, the Riddler felt like a guy that would have stormed the Capitol. Like, he felt like the guy that would have had the tiki torch. Like he was the guy, and I'll get into why as I get to that point. But everything, all of the characters felt like normal people. Selena Kyle's character, she was just a regular cat burglar. Nothing, she wasn't a person who was killed and revived by cats. <laughs> just a regular, a regular woman with some pliable and and uh gymnast like skills the penguin is just a second rate drug dealer <laughs> falcone just a drug dealer like not falcone Fal- falcone just a, just a drug dealer gordon just a police just a, just a guy he's a cop <laughs> like everything everyone is grounded Everyone is like, you can totally, you know, people like this. Probably this is a, this is like the Joker is such a ridiculous character. There's, there's, there's nothing about the Joker that even that's even practical. And, and so like, so like his, what he does though menacing as it relates to the storyline has very little relatability to the actual world. Like even the same thing with Bane. Like, no one is shutting down an entire city. That's not happening. <laughs> that's not happening in real life. Like, that's not, it's not happening. So, those stories, though well done, are not very grounded. They have the superhero-esque mystique to it. In that there are a lot of fantastical things going on. In this case, though it's there are times in which they remind you this is a superhero, this is a superhero movie. But it feels more like a noir serial killer mystery film. It's it's made very much in the in the in the Fincher model. And there are a lot of nods to it all throughout the movie. It's 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 the evolution to what Joker was compared to Taxi Driver. Like this idea 
that you can make a comic character but portray him in like in a way that the the comic geek and the cinephile could find could both find mutual satisfaction in it in that there are so many nods to classic cinema but also the the necessary nods to the canon text and whether it's done well is another thing and that that's up to debate with the joker but i think in this case it was done very well let me also say one more thing before we get into a little bit deeper we got a black gordon and a black selena kyle and guess what it didn't ruin the movie for all of you weirdos that get online and lament about, well, he's supposed to be white in the comp like, man, excuse my French, but who gives a fuck? <laughs> like, grow up, dog. <laughs> like, we're, we're talking about fictional characters in superhero worlds, and you're mad that they're not, like, this is not like we're, we're not casting for George Washington. These are not real people. These are not real characters. And if you ask me, Zoe Kravitz and Je- and Jeffrey Wright played those characters perfectly. No harm, no foul. A lot of hoopla about nothing. But so is much of the stuff that comes out of that section of the population. A lot of hoopla, mostly about nothing. Okay. So if you have not watched it yet, I suggest you uh, hit pause, um, come back to this episode after you've watched it. Um, Again, I'm not going that deep. I won't even really spend that much time on it, but I am going to probably be, I'm not even probably, I'm going to be giving away certain plot points and I don't want to ruin your, your experience. So uh, go ahead and, and here you can check out now and I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit more while, while we wait. beautiful okay a couple things cinematography fantastic absolutely beautiful the decisions of how Batman would be captured I thought were so unique and it was done in such a way that really made a separation between it and like Marvel movies that are done well, but don't seem to have any artistic thought in how they decide to capture these characters. There are some exceptions. I remember watching Black Panther and the scene when Killmonger takes the mantle and the shot opens upside down where 
there's a it's like a slow push as Killmonger walks to the to the throne. There's a slow push where the camera's upside down and it's slowly turning back right side up. And I thought that was perfect. I I had not heard anything. Of, I don't, I haven't. I don't know officially from Ryan or you know any of them about what the thoughts are. But it felt like here is a time in which the country is literally upside down. Like like they the king has just been so they thought murdered, thrown off of a off of a waterfall. So many things are happening. There's so much unease. We don't know what's going on. Everything is literally upside down. No one has their bearings right now. So here's a shot of things literally upside down because that's that's exactly what he's done to this nation. He's flipped it on its head. And I thought it was a fantastic choice to portray him taking the mantle in that way. But the but what we usually get is we we usually only get that in spots in most of the Marvel movies. We get it in spots. We get a part here and there that felt like somebody thought, ooh, let's do it this way. Instead of, uh, okay, we got a lot of stuff to film. Let's shoot this, let's shoot that, let's shoot that, and make sure we just cover every angle. Every shot in this movie felt like it was on purpose. Every angle, every way it was lit, there was this way in which like when the Riddler was waiting for the DA, um, when um, Selena is in the taxi, and Bruce is following her in the in the um, motorcycle, uh, when Penguin's car gets flipped over, there's a lot of shots in which it's out of focus. Like like the, the the character in front of the screen is out of focus when literally when when the DA gets into the car and the Riddler smacks him upside the head, the focus of the camera is on the steering wheel. So he's getting his face wrapped with the tape and the bomb is getting strapped on his neck, all out of focus. Like there 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 is a it it it's it's kind of it adds to the mystery of the plot and which the plot is literally a mis- it's literally a mystery movie. There's always the mystery and mystique of just Batman himself. I mean, he dresses in black and at night. So there's always this idea of his shadow and him, you know. So they shot him a lot in silhouette, which was chef's kiss. Um, it's, it's. It's it's well it is done very well, and it is the most auteur superhero movie I think there has ever been. It felt like, and I believe this was confirmed. They let Matt do whatever he want, like whatever he want. If you come on to a Marvel movie, it's your set. But you are you are coming in to what is already an active storyline. And what you do is kind of already scripted for you. It's just 
you have the choice in the style in which you want to do it. But we got to get there because there are other movies that are going to share. Like, for instance, I think when when Coogler created his Wakanda in the middle of, of their production. um, They already had to get a glimpse of what Wakanda was for for in, for Infinity Wars. Because they had to go to Wakanda there, too. So before his movie was even made, there was already a a cooperative effort going on. So what you do is not in a vacuum. You can't just do whatever you want there. You've got to play their game in order to play yours. And that's just... Overall, us as the people, we get a better storyline. But that's where the artistry, I think, suffers. Is that you can't do too much. Because what you do has to fit in with what's already going on. So even the different movies... None of them feel like they're out of place. They all feel like they all go together. That's because they have to be created with the same moods and tones in mind because you're having the same characters reappear in different movies. In this case, it felt like he could do whatever he wanted. So for those of you who don't know, for those of you who don't know, uh, a big chunk of this is kind of taken from um, uh, the year one Batman comic. Literally, this is the start of year two in the movie. We find that out because he's like, at this point, he's he's um, he has a diary in which he's writing out um, all of his um, like, like he well he has <laughs> he's got these um these these uh contacts that have like face rec- recognizing software in them. They're cameras, and literally when he goes home at night, he kind of goes over the footage to see what he saw. Like, he's still very new. He's not even called the Batman yet. He's calling himself Vengeance. Um, Like, there's a scene at a, uh, in like a train station where these, these, these guys who are inspired by the Joker character are about to knock this guy out. Like, they, they walk around and record themselves on film just sleeping, guys. So they're about to do it. He comes in, beating him up. Boom, 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 boom. Who are you? I'm vengeance. Like, that's what he says, because he's not even he hasn't even started to call himself the Batman yet. The only person who calls him the Batman is the Riddler. But um, so he's not even Batman yet. Very early, very, very rough. Doesn't have that much tech. He's still rich, but he doesn't have that much tech. He's got a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of a setup, but nothing is like over the top. So he um he's new. He's new at this. So so one of the things that's so interesting about that is that we really haven't gotten this aspect of him. They I mean they talk about the origin of Superman in um uh Batman Begins, I think. Um where we kind of we see Christian well, Christian Bale Christian Bale is obviously his portrayal of him, but we see him as a kid. We see his parents get murdered, and we kind of see how he grows up, how he goes away to train with Ra's al Ghul and the League of Shadows, blah blah blah, and all this stuff. So we kind of see, but they really they really gloss over what seems to be like that. I, I can't I can't put my finger on it, and I I'm, I'm not that well versed in the comics, but I would assume this is like. 20s 
Bruce Wayne. Like, he's still a young guy. The death of his parents is still very, very fresh. And this is the this is the best portrayal of an angry guy. I think we were supposed to be made to believe that even Christian Bale's Batman was also angry, but we don't get anger that often. We got a little bit of it, like when he's fighting Bane, like we saw how angrily he was trying to fight him. But we don't really get a person who's broken. Well, at least until the third until the third movie, where we kind of see him kind of become a recluse after the whole thing with um, Harvey Dent, whatever. But we see a really angry, broken, misguided Bruce Wayne. His relationship with Alfred is not even that good yet, because right now. Alfred's trying to fulfill that dad role. He's like, I don't want that dad role right now. He's not really concerned with saving people. He's just he's just trying to find out who killed his dad still. So he's using vengeance, the Batman, to do that. He's not doing it to try to save people. He's just trying to find out. He's trying to take down the people that he thinks might be responsible for who killed his dad. So that's where he is. Alongside him, you have the Riddler. And there's like three arcs that are going on at the same time, all having to do with orphans in a way. You have Selena Kyle, where we find out that she is Falcone's daughter, but her mom dies when she's a kid, so she goes into like child protective services. We have the Riddler, who... um I believe it's to be assumed that his his dad is killed also also, also by Falcone. <laughs> it's crazy. Like Falcone is, is like this. Yo, Falcone is the center of this. I didn't even really think about this. It, it's they don't really they don't really to, so much push on it with the Riddler, but there's a character that gets murdered that I I think is the Riddler's dad, but um. Anyways, Falcone is kind of like the center of, of, of this. And we have the arc of three orphans. You got Batman, whose parents were murdered. You got the Riddler, whose I think dad was murdered. And you got Catwoman, whose mom was murdered. And all of them are are angry, trying to get vengeance for what, trying to get payment, you know. And they're their stories converge and that's essentially what this movie is is it's it's the it's how the three of them are trying to find out about themselves still and how those storylines kind of kind of come around um this this movie again like i said it's the most it's the most grounded this movie really really pushes on the idea that Batman creates his own villains. Um, Cause literally throughout the entire story, the Riddler is killing people. He's trying to, there's like this whole um, um, rebuild uh, um, rebuilding concept that Thomas Wayne was supposed to be doing. Thomas Wayne gets murdered. So then a bunch of crime people basically take over that that uh, program and basically use it as a way to like launder money. And 
nothing ends up happening. Things don't get rebuilt. Things don't get fixed around the city and they just use it for their own personal greed. And we see the Riddler slowly taking out people who were connected to this in order to unveil this big plot, this big conspiracy. And the Batman is following behind. And by the way, we finally get to see the Batman as the world's greatest detective. It's literally a detective movie. I I heard a lot that before I watched it, that this had a very Fincher-esque idea. I heard the word seven. I heard the word Zodiac. And it does have that idea of, of a cop trying to chase after a serial killer, trying to look for the clues, trying to figure out what is going to happen next, trying to beat him to that point. And we have the Riddler who's committing various, various murders while also leaving letters to Batman giving clues because the Riddler is using Batman to help himself out because there's an aspect and he actually speaks about it later where he's like, I'm not a, physical guy so i can't get some of these people out you can i'm just helping point you in a direction and in the end he believed that he was working with the batman and then of course batman is like no you're crazy blah blah blah. so a guy who genuinely thought that he and the batman were like good they're fine together like even he had this master plot at the end to blow up a bunch of walls that hold up um water and kind of flood the city and do all these stuff. And he literally invited Batman to the prison as a way to save him. Like stay here and let's watch it all burn. And then we can hop out when it's done. So he really kind of Batman saw him as a bad guy. He saw the Batman as a partner. And in the end, he's like, nah, you're crazy. I ain't rocking with that. And basically he makes himself a villain, essentially a guy who was, who was not doing anything to him. And now all of a sudden, assuming there will be other movies, now Batman will will be a subject of his of his, you know, wrath, so to say. And we do see this in the end because he kind of takes down uh, Falcone. But then what happens is now that's left a vacuum for a bunch of other crimes. So in a funny way, because it's setting up early Batman, we know that things are going to keep happening. So the in a way, the city is worse off at the end than when it started. But this kind of sets off like this is what Batman is is meant to, to do in the city. And this was how that started. But everything about the Batman is grounded. His his Batmobile is not some super high techie thing. He just he has a muscle car, <laughs> a very menacing muscle car. But it's just a muscle car. Uh, um, Even his tech, the most advanced thing he has was like these wings that he was able to uh glide off of a cliff with that's really it um he's got some gadgets and you know pulleys and stuff like that but none of it is over the top yet um it's it's it is early batman this is not a bruce wayne movie repeat this is not a bruce wayne movie you are not getting you are not getting the playboy. You are not getting the billionaire. Even even in Ben Affleck's portrayal of the Batman, where he was angry and all this stuff, you still got the got the feeling that this is a guy who's used to high society, that can dress well, that could you know. This Bruce Wayne doesn't care about any of that. 
there's a there's a point where he's gonna one of the few public appearances that Bruce Wayne actually makes, and he's gonna walk out without even he has a shirt with cuffs, and he's gonna walk out without cufflinks because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about his parents, his family's wealth, his family name. All he cares about is vengeance. So we're not getting the suave guy. We are getting a broken. He used the word um, Robert Robert Pattinson. He used he used. Uh, uh, Kurt Cobain. He was like that was a person that th- that he was, you know. And you get very Kurt Cobain, you know, hair bangs covering the eye. Like he is a very broken guy at that point. He does not know what he's supposed to be doing. Well, he believes he knows what he's supposed to be doing, but he is not the superhero yet. He's just an angry rich guy trying to get back at the people who killed his parents. And and you get that with this i think the most um it it has to me the scariest and most realistic showdown i think of any of the recent superhero movies like like no way home is fantastic but that's an unrealistic showdown you've got a sand guy and and an electric guy and a a a a a guy with a glider (laughs) and and an iguana (laughs) fighting three Spider-Mans from different universes. Like it looks great, but it's 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 not real. You know, uh uh in 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 game, you've got a bunch of alien creatures coming from the past in a big alien craft in a fight against a bunch of superheroes who came through a bunch of portals that got opened up. <laughs> and I'm not saying it that way to 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 try to like down it. I'm just saying like they are not real. In this, the showdown is in the city of Gotham, just like in I think Manhattan, parts of parts of New York are below sea level, and there are seawalls at different points around the city that keep the water out. So he sets up, and this we're getting heavy spoiler here. He sets up. This is kind of like the final showdown. Okay, so he he's he's committing these crimes. The Batman is is following him. He's kind of there's a list of people who who the Riddler wants to kill. And then there's a guy who he wants to be brought out by Batman. So Batman, in an effort to try to stop him from killing people, is also trying to find out who that guy is so that he can bring him out to the light so that maybe the Riddler will stop. So in a way, he's working with the Riddler, but he's working with him in a way to stop the to try to stop and catch the Riddler before more people die. And um, he, they he, they find out who the guy is. The Riddler kills that guy. The Riddler gets arrested. That's when they go to the jail, and that's where they have that scene. Obviously, where he was like, "We were working together," and the Batman was like, "Nah, what are you talking about? I was never working with you." Blah blah blah. And then he finds out this big plot that all along they were trying, or he 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 was planning on. Setting up a bunch of a bunch of vans at at along upside along up against sorry various um, parts of the seawall, blowing those up, flooding the city. Everybody in the city who's not caught up by the flood is going to scramble to <laughs> Gotham Square Garden. I love that they don't they don't shy away from the fact that we all know that Gotham is New York. So they go to Gotham Square Garden, which is basically Madison Square Garden. And there were a bunch of people on a live stream that he 
but like there's a scene earlier in the movie where 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 Bruce Wayne is going to the memorial of one of the people that the Riddler kills, and there are people outside with signs, with the Riddler sign, showing that these are people who believe. We kind of saw elements of that in in uh, the Joker, where there were people who were wearing the 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 um, the clown mask. So this idea that there's a bad guy, but there are people. There are large swaths of the of the of the population who actually agree with him because they also feel like they're being disenfranchised. They also feel like there's so much crime and corruption going on that they're being forgotten and left behind. They also feel like like there is this effort to replace him, this effort to blah 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 blah. Which is why I I, I referenced like the January six guys because this this felt scarier to me because it felt more real. This idea that this lone guy who they believe is achieving justice, who they believe is uncovering this nasty plot. And they buy into his cause. So although he's in prison, he has basically galvanized a bunch of guys to dress up like him, to go up on top of the scoreboard, up in the rafters with rifles. And as everybody piles into this um this arena they're just gonna start picking people off which is the most realistic showdown <laughs> like it's the most realistic showdown this idea that a bunch of radicals would organize online and carry out a plot and it was scary <laughs> It was it was it was crazy. That's why I think like these were like the these were the capital guys. Like it was that type of thing. It was this idea that like social media and things like that could be weaponized uh, to kind of kind of spread a message. When he kills the DA, or when he has the bomb is trapped around a DA and he's trying to you know get answers, he's on live stream while this is happening. So everything that he's doing, whenever he killed a person, he went on live stream so people can know I'm doing this. Here's why I'm doing this. And he's also exposing things. So it's like, this guy's not just crazy. He's There's actually a fact. There's case. There's facts to this. These people are guilty of these things. And gaining sympathy, you know, from it. And and it 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 is, again, that's why I say this was the most grounded superhero movie. Everything about this movie felt like this could for sure happen. There were a couple times where, like, Things happen to Batman where it's like, yo, how come he's not dead or why is he not very seriously hurt? But, you know, that you kind of suspend those elements of, of reality when you're watching this genre of movie. And there was a part at the end where there is a Joker reveal, but a very faint reveal. You can't even really see him. The Riddler's in the in the prison. Batman's kind of spoiled his plot because he beats up all those guys and they don't really get to kill anybody. And other than people who drowned, but we don't really see that. So he's he's kind of like crying in prison because what he wanted to do didn't really work. And then the Joker is in a cell next to him and you kind of have him essentially like he gives. It's funny because the Riddler is doing it's like has a series of riddles and phrases throughout the whole movie. And then the Joker is like, riddle me this. What is. I think it was something like. Ah, I can't even think of it. I don't even want to butcher it, but something about like. You can tell he was trying to befriend him because it's like, hey, we can both be friends and you and I kind of have like a like-minded approach where we kind of would like this place to burn too. 
And then he does this laugh, this infamous laugh, which is kind of the Joker, but you really can't see his face too much because all you see is a silhouette of his face through like the slit in the, in the, in the prison door. So um, that's the one part where I felt like he did that because he probably had to like, let's give people this idea that this is still in the Batman universe because the Riddler is not a very popular character outside of, um, uh, a is one of the more popular villains. Uh, I think even non-enthusiasts kind of like know about the Riddler or Penguin or you know stuff like that. But he's not like where like Joker. So um, I think they did that. Now, does this mean that they're going to set up for more? We'll see. I think the way that this movie's been made, there are so there were so many new characters set up. There was. The Gordon character, there was the Catwoman character, there was Riddler, there was Batman, there was Alfred, there was the new um, the new uh, mayor. Oh, I forget her name, Real. Ah, oh, gosh, let me let me pull it up. But there was a new mayor that that was elected. Uh, so there were a lot of new characters that got introduced and were on the way to getting to being flushed out. Um, that I feel like not continuing on with that is kind of like, why did you go through all of that? If not to open up, you know, like for more, uh, so her, so her name is Bella Real. She's, she's played by, I believe her name is pronounced Jamie Lawson. So like, there's all these different characters of like people who kind of just got introduced and it's like introduce, and it could be that we're just so conditioned based on the way that Marvel's been making movies for the last 10 years to assume that there's always a play for another one. But this movie felt like this was a play for potentially another trilogy. And we just, we got the trilogy from Nolan. I would love to see a Matt Reeves trilogy. I would absolutely love it. Um, but yeah, that's it. I'm not going too much deeper. Um, I would, didn't want to do too many spoilers. I didn't even want to really get that much into the plot. I'm still working out what I think. Oh, hold on. There was the most perfect, the most perfect scene. Don't get me wrong. Let me not even say it was the best scene. I think the best scene in the movie personally, or the scene that made me the giddiest was the opening scene when the Riddler um, first kills and when Batman beats up the Jokers and the the Batmobile revealed. It was, those scenes were fantastic. But they gave Batman what I like to call the Darth Vader scene. So there's a scene in the end of Rogue Run, in Rogue One, where, for those of you who don't know, um, the the first Star Wars movie, episode four, starts with um, Darth Vader and his people going to Leia's ship because they have plans. They have the, they have the schematics to the Death Star and they don't want enemies to have it because then the enemies will know how to destroy it. So that's how it starts. Rogue One plays as a prequel to four where you find the people who go and steal the plans. So in Rogue One, they go down to this planet, they steal the plans, they beam it up to the ship. Everybody on the planet dies. But what you have is literally there are people who have done who have spliced it together, 
like in, in on YouTube where it's a perfect it is a perfect match like literally second for second the end of Rogue One starts right into the beginning of episode four so there's a scene where they're like doing this uh, relay race essentially with this with this with this let's call it a flash drive that has the information and they're kind of passing it through doors meanwhile Darth Vader is there's a scene where they're trying to get through and it's just a straight tunnel and it's dark and all of a sudden you see his red lightsaber glow and then this is when you probably saw in the live action versions of him the most active Darth Vader he is just walking down this tunnel in a menacing way just destroying guys and it's just really that slow pan they did the same thing at the end of Mandalorian season 2 they gave Luke Skywalker also in this little tube room in one of these ships and he's just going through uh, I think they're called the like, dark bots or whatever I don't know what they're called um, and he's just uh, going crazy like basically got them into a box and one guy and a bunch of guys you can't go anywhere you gotta get him but you can't get him because he's badass so that's what I consider the Vader shot so they had this shot where Batman comes up the elevator, he's trying to go get uh, Falcone, and well, he's trying to go get the Catwoman because Catwoman's trying to go kill Falcone, and he's trying to keep her from doing that because he doesn't want her life to be ruined as well. And he is in this tunnel or in this little room, this little box, whatever you want to call it. There's no escape. You just got to fight Batman. But it's dark because he cut the power to the whole building. And the way that it's shot, he's fighting this guy. Everybody's got automatic weapons. Apparently, what we've been told is that scene is shot with all practical effects. So this was not extra effects. It is literally it is literally the the only light you see is the light of gunfire. And it's fantastic. It is incredible. He's like beating these guys up and all you see is kind of like the the staggered lighting that comes from an automatic weapon and, and the 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 light coming from the fi- the firing. Of, of those weapons and it is just absolutely absolutely chef's kiss <laughs> there's that there's there's an opening shot where they kind of had a they kind of had like a camera mounted to his helmet which was so dope there's a lot of the silhouette shots of him on the roof where the um where the the uh the the light is you know the, the famous bat light um so yeah this 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 movie was beautifully shot i mean just it was just a gorgeous gorgeous movie i don't even use the word gorgeous for stuff like this but it was a gorgeous shot greg frazier that was a the um director of photography just beautiful beautifully shot movie um so yes it's it's it is it is the most cinematic superhero movie it is the movie that I would love to hear Scorsese's take on. I would love to hear him call this an amusement park. It is fantastic. And it is, I hope, the catalyst for more thought-provoking ways to tell the, tell to tell a story, to capture a story, of like beloved comic book anime characters 
instead of giving it like this flat kind of washed view, let's really get artsy with this. Let's take a, a well-known IP, but if we're going to adapt that to a film, let's still not lose out on the elements of filmmaking. We thought Nolan did that the best. And at the and at that point, he had. That was the best that we have seen as far as like, this felt like cinema watching that movie. It didn't feel like, it's a superhero movie. It felt like, yeah, even from the score, from the types of shots to, to all of that stuff, it felt fantastic. This took it to another level. This was another notch. So kudos to Matt Reeve. I've been talking for way too long. Um, yeah, go watch it. You got to go watch it. Um, it's in theaters right now. It's two hours and 56 minutes long. It is 10 minutes shorter than in than Endgame. So if you're able to sit through Endgame, you can sit through this. I will say this, though. Okay, so there's three types of movies. You have movies that are short, but they didn't feel that short. You have movies that are long, but they felt really too long. And then you have movies that feel like their runtime, but they're not bad. And that's what I would say for this one is. It feels like three hours, but there aren't too many slow spots. Like there aren't too many spots where it's like, all right, they could have ended this movie 30 minutes ago. There are a couple points where I thought they were going to end the movie, but they introduced another thing that was like, okay, all right, I'm, I'm bought in. <laughs> we can go 15 minutes longer if you need to, you know, and they could have kept going, honestly, but, um, uh, yeah, you gotta go watch it. It's in theaters now. Um, so yeah, here's to, here's to, here's to more RT superhero movies. My name is Antonio. I'm out. Not being, not being, not being, not being.